HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, we're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. If you ask 10 different people what is the future of food, you might get 10 different answers. It's such a grand question and encompasses so many complex and varied fields. For me, three things come to mind. One, how do we produce food on a planet that is being stretched completely beyond its means? Two, what are the implications of a globalizing appetite on food sovereignty and cultural ownership? And three, as humans, we've moved from being hunters and gatherers to growing protein in labs. Do we continue to view the produce and protein that we have enjoyed on Earth as essential parts of the human experience, or do we need to seriously consider other options? Are we limited to the tangible produce from the flora and fauna of the world for what we can consume? These are questions that loom large in many of our imaginations. They're questions that Meet and Three Stories frequently touch upon, but can never fully answer. The future is unknown, but not unimportant. For the next three weeks, Meet and Three will take a look at cutting-edge technology, the power and pace of globalization, and breakthrough accomplishments and discoveries. We'll pose our most pressing questions about the future of food to NASA scientists predicting how people will eat in space, as well as activists fighting for a more equitable tomorrow. We are kicking off this mini-series with a look at tech and the budding metaverse. What is the metaverse? It's synonymous with cyberspace and essentially shared virtual space where users can interact, create, buy, sell, and be entertained. While the metaverse today is not the full-fledged virtual reality that sci-fi portrays, we already see how data, a digital economy, and virtual experiences are gradually taking their places in the food industry. So grab your cryptocurrency, hop in a spaceship, and stick with us as we explore the evolving landscape of the digital world. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. One meet, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal. For your ears. Meet and three. 
What if the future of food involves eating meals that don't even exist, or sharing a meal with people from another time period? Ellie Katz takes us into the world of dining in mixed reality. Imagine this: you're lying on a beach chair with a glass of Pinot Noir in one hand and a warm, fresh piece of baguette in the other. Crossing one leg over the other, you slice a piece out of the ground beside you, spread it on your bread, and pop it into your mouth. The taste of Gruyere unfurls across your tongue, and you lean back. Chewing and taking in the view of Earth from hundreds of thousands of kilometers away, an afternoon picnic on the moon, which is of course made of cheese. Can you picture it? Dr. Janice Wang can. Yeah. So my name is Janice Wang. I'm an assistant professor of food science at Aarhus University.、Um, I have been experimenting a lot recently with mixed reality. Virtual reality, augmented reality,、um, especially what we call augmented virtuality, which might sound a bit strange. It's when we combine elements of the physical world into the virtual reality experience, like changing the color of coffee through VR goggles to test for how a participant perceives creaminess, for example, or imagining what it would be like to dine completely underwater. Weird as they may seem right now. Experiences in mixed reality may play an important role in the future of food. I think there's going to be a lot of applications with augmented reality glasses, not only changing the food, but more like you know giving us additional information about what we're eating, figuring out where does the food come from, how was it made,、um, what its story.、Uh, we've talked about things like we could help people. Pretend or imagine they're eating things that no longer exist, like like I mentioned, eating dinosaurs. But maybe a more relevant example is、um, nowadays with so many species going extinct, you can very easily imagine eating something like a, a mammoth. Or in fifty years' time, maybe people could be eating like yellowfin tuna because they've been fished out of extinction. But it's pretty easy to think of scenarios that can help people build awareness. Of the food system, or or climate change, for example. In the very near future, we'll pretty much be able to customize how our food looks using augmented or virtual reality goggles. This has implications beyond just eating interesting-looking food. Our taste and perception of food is strongly influenced by the visual information we receive. For example, one study found that simply changing the color of a piece of cake. Made it taste sweeter to participants. Another study found that making a cookie appear larger through goggles improves levels of satiety. And even though it might be easier to imagine these visual examples when thinking about mixed reality, Dr. Wang thinks there's another equally important application of this tech when it comes to our relationship with food in the future. So maybe one other possible implication of this technology is, and this is a bit wishful thinking. Maybe what would happen is that people would pay more attention to the context in which they eat, beyond the food itself, because one advantage of mixed reality is that it makes it easier to imagine that you're somewhere else, or be with other people. So, so maybe it's not about the food, but it's it's about you know where we're eating and who we're eating with. 
We could dine with people from the other side of the world, or even from another time period, to spur empathy and openness. We could have a meal with family or friends that are far away. It's all on the horizon. But for now, at least, the next time you're staring up at the moon, wondering if it really could somehow be made of cheese, the answer is yes. Whatever kind of cheese you want. The idea of eating moon cheese sounds like science fiction, but what about growing plants in space? VR is not the only space where we're building worlds with tech. We're also creating artificial environments in, well, space. And with climate change looming, everyday people may someday find themselves growing, eating, and hopefully enjoying food in space. So next, Sarah Mathis asks, how do we grow plants on the final frontier? Terraforming is a term that originated in sci-fi to describe the act of transforming a planet to make it resemble Earth. The idea of terraforming Mars in particular has lately stirred up headlines. NASA's recently retired chief scientist suggested we might achieve it by installing a magnetic shield to protect the red planet's atmosphere from the sun, though no such technology exists yet. Nonetheless, it got me thinking. Could space be the answer to our struggles with sustainability on Earth? What would growing plants in space even look like? So naturally, I reached out to NASA. Hi, yeah, my name is Ralph Fritchie. Uh, I am the Senior Crop Production Manager for Space Crops for NASA at the Kennedy Space Center. Mr. Fritchie is leading the charge to develop fresh and sustainable food systems for astronauts. Right now, veggies are being grown on the International Space Station in small quantities for both research and to supplement the crew's diet. The remainder of their food comes in sealed packets to prevent spoilage. But there's a catch with this current system. Right now, the prepackaged food uh, starts to degrade with certain components, maybe in just in flavor, a little bit of nutrition, about 18 months. So when you're looking at a three-year mission to Mars, you have to uh, question how much of that nutrition is going to be left and how palatable the food will be. So if we're going to plunge deeper into space, space-grown food has to be on the menu. But as Mr. Fritchie put it, it's not as simple as just taking a seed and putting it in a pot and having something grow. To help me understand just what's so difficult about growing plants in space, I also recruited the help of Sam Humphrey, an astrobotany aficionado and contributor to astrobotany.com. A quick note that Sam's pronouns are he, they, but for continuity, I will be using they, them pronouns to refer to them from here on out. When you grow plants on Earth, they need water and air and nutrients. And in space, they still need those things. It's just that microgravity makes everything more complicated. So like, take water, for example. Since there's no up or down in space, there isn't really gravity pulling that water down. And so water tends to form, when you water plants in space, the water tends to form like a layer over those tissues, over the root tissues. And that blocks the roots from getting the air they need. And so that ultimately can cause the roots to uh, rot and die, which is, of course, not good if you're trying to feed astronauts reliably in space. Currently, there are two types of small growth chambers in use on the International Space Station that effectively deal with the obstacles to growing food in microgravity. 
They're called Vegetable Production System, Veggie for short, and Advanced Plant Habitat. And they're both about the size of a microwave oven. The major difference is that Veggie is pretty much open to the cabin and requires some day to day care from the crew. By contrast, the advanced plant habitat is sealed off from the cabin, and the atmosphere within the habitat, the temperature and humidity, etc., is all handled automatically by the electronics and sensors inside the machine. Since the crew have limited time to devote to growing plants, this move towards more fully automated plant growth systems is an extremely important factor in scaling up plant cultivation in space in the future. The current system works fine for the International Space Station, which can be easily resupplied by Earth. But a round trip to Mars can easily take about three years, including the time to stay there and study the planet. So it begs the question, what's the next step to allowing astronauts to grow enough food to make a trip to Mars possible? It behooves us to be able to, you know, so, quote unquote, live off the land as much as possible. And that's where a bioregenerative life support systems comes in. And what, you may ask, is a bioregenerative life support system. Bioregenerative just means that it just means a system that can regenerate to support life. So everything, the nutrients, the air, the water, everything is regenerated. Um, the simplest example of a bioregenerative life support system is like astronauts recycling their wastes into fertilizer, and then the plants can convert those wastes back into nutrients, back into food for those astronauts. Or another example could be that the astronauts breathe out carbon dioxide and we can use plants and technology to recycle that carbon dioxide back into oxygen for the astronauts to breathe. What you're really looking at is closing the mass loop of a system, making sure that you don't have to send any additional mass. The only thing we would have to increase would be energy. And hopefully we would be able to do that with systems, whether they're nuclear systems or some other approach to giving us the energy we need. You try to make use of all the mass very efficiently and recycling it completely. While a fully operational, bioregenerative life support system is still in the works, the prospect of its production brings hope not just for deep space travel, but also for sustainability on Earth. Perhaps some of the technologies developed could help us to more efficiently recycle waste, grow food, and reduce emissions terrestrially. Sam suspects that the future of food in space will be focused on cultivating extremely nutrient-dense foods. They pointed out that with the limited growing space available to astronauts, small, nutrient-dense foods like microgreens might be the next big thing in space. When it comes to the future, as envisioned by NASA, it doesn't seem that they'll be trying to terraform Mars in the immediate future. But Mr. Fritchie didn't exactly rule out growing food on other bodies in space. What does it take to grow plants successfully on the moon and then take a similar system to Mars? So we're looking both from a microgravity perspective and a partial gravity perspective, uh, two complete set of different challenges in some ways, some ways they're similar. Um, and that's really what our focus is on for the next 10, 20 years, I would say. So instead of quite literally building worlds, for now, we'll just have to make do with enjoying tech-powered realities on Earth. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a brief break. Hi, I'm Kiki Luya, the Executive Director of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Shift Work. 
In the last six months, some 6,500 restaurants have closed their doors, and there's never been a time when restaurants and their 12 million workers have been more vulnerable. It's time to transform hospitality. With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, we're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. What does it really take to make that experience happen? And who are the countless workers responsible? We're talking porters, cleaning crew, prep cooks, servers, baristas, hosts, bartenders, barbacks, managers, sommeliers, and chefs. I'll also introduce you to organizations that are leading industry transformation. We'll discuss mental health, fair pay, racial justice, and how hospitality can change for the better. We need it. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to Meet and Three. Let's bring it back down to earth for our next segment. Data from plant performance in space is one thing, but what about data in our terrestrial farming and supply chain operations? The days of horse-drawn tilling and individually surveilling the fields are long past in today's world of agriculture. Nowadays, it's not surprising to see farmers employ satellite imagery, sensors, and data sets when growing food. But how does all of this technology work cohesively? Andriana Chow speaks with Anastasia Volkova, the CEO and founder of the agritech startup Regrow, about the role of precision agriculture. Precision agriculture is a farm management strategy. Farmers use resources more efficiently because they have ability to utilize data in their day-to-day decisions which in turn increases not just productivity, but resilience of their farm, the ability to withstand climate variations, which in turn gives us consumers healthier food at more affordable prices and more stability to food supply. Regrow currently offers three management platforms. Users can subscribe to a platform and access it on Regrow's special websites. One platform is geared for farmers, another caters to companies managing supply chains, and the last one connects growers with the food companies directly. They're distinct because they're doing different manipulations with the data to answer different questions. So we collect a lot of data ourselves using access to publicly available satellite imagery. So we collect that data alongside meteorological data and soil information ourselves. And then when it comes to non-publicly available data sources, but those of farmers. Farmers have a choice to provide us with information they've collected on their farm. This is possible because Regrow's programs can receive data from other technologies that farmers use, such as tractors and sensors. With extra information on crop yield, soil moisture levels, doses of fertilizer, and much, much more, there is a clearer picture of how the crops are doing and what sustainability efforts look like. Thanks to the advancements in technology and science, the tools that we use at Regrow allow us to not only set those goals, but to be able to have the data to back them and to measure and track our way to achieve those goals. Essentially, being able to manage data is key to knowing how applied sustainability efforts are playing out and helps us hold companies and growers accountable to their sustainability claims, like how much carbon has been sequestered or whether they are actually protecting a specific watershed from fertilizer runoff. 
There are plenty of challenges up ahead for precision agriculture, like the tendency for our food system to lean towards monoculture crop production instead of regenerative agriculture, whether technology will be accessible for smaller farms, and of course, data ownership and usage questions. But for now, Anastasia has hope for precision agriculture's growing role in sustainability. We at Regrow see the world of uh, agri-food um, as being more transparent to consumers, as being much more connected to the climate impact that agriculture has. And precision agriculture or regenerative agriculture practices being the tools and the guidelines along which that impact will be improved. While precision agriculture serves the management side of food operations, our next story looks at how the metaverse impacts consumers. Major corporations like Walmart, Gap, and Adidas have released NFTs or filed trademark applications for digital services and virtual branding. Think of buying exclusive digital art, digital collectibles, videos and music with cryptocurrencies. Michael Edwin will now explore what NFTs and the metaverse hold for the food world. Metaverse is becoming the word we use when we talk about our digital lives. So digital currency, cryptocurrency, social media, doing things in gaming, in VR. When people hear the word metaverse, they think of the original meaning, which is a 3D environment where people go in to have a sort of like virtual reality, virtual world, video game type of life. That was Jennifer Liuzzi, the host of HRN's Tech Bytes podcast, who recently interviewed Andy Wang, the founder of Dumpling Mafia, which produces NFTs that exclusive members can use to access virtual events and parties. So an NFT is a non-fungible token, and essentially what that means is I have a thing that I put on the blockchain, and I say I own it on the blockchain, and then I'm going to sell it to you. And because it lives in the blockchain, then we can establish who owns it, how much its value is, and we can follow it on its path of ownership. Some people see the metaverse as a way to enter a world where they can utilize NFTs in games purely for entertainment, while others see them as a monetary investment. Here's what Andy has to say. An NFT could be a perfect membership card. In a way, like NFTs are membership cards to these different niches and these different groups. The NFT could unlock a certificate where the chef mails you all the ingredients and gets on Zoom and helps you cook it. You know, or the NFT could just be whenever you go to the chef's restaurant, like once a year on a certain day, he will just, he or she will serve you this off menu dish. Major food companies are creating campaigns that blur the line between the real and digital world. For Halloween, Chipotle created a virtual restaurant inside Roblox, an online game platform. When players entered the virtual restaurant, they got a promo code for a free burrito at a real Chipotle restaurant. And Chipotle gave away $1 million worth of free burritos that way. Restaurant people are about doing things in real life, welcoming someone into a physical space, giving them actual food and drink and actually making a cocktail and handing it to them. So in order to translate a real life experience into a virtual experience, I think that's the 
biggest, most significant hurdle that restaurants have had recently. Andy and Jennifer believe the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of the metaverse. Regardless of the future of COVID, they think NFTs are here to stay. We're so early in this. I think that a lot of chefs and restaurants have this community and they can build upon it in the metaverse, especially now that so many people have been so isolated at home for so long. I think going forward, like all new technology, um, digital payment, ordering delivery apps, virtual events that people started doing in 2020 and in 2021, social media, Instagram, all these things didn't exist 10 years ago. And they became new ways of people to connect and communicate with their clients. So I think ultimately, NFTs and digital currency will become a part of the restaurant industry. Want more examples of restaurants engaging with the metaverse? Check out episode 252 and 253 of Tech Bites with Jennifer Luzzi to find out more. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Learn more about the guests and topics we touched on this week by checking out our show notes and join us next week for more stories about the future of food. Special thanks this week to Andriana Chow, Michael Edwin, Will Hartman, Ellie Katz, and Sarah Mathis. Meet and 3 is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out.